0: Listening to Free World with Derek Freeman. D free, man. D West. Back at last. (laughs) Look at this, man.
1: Oh man, full circle. <laughs> well, and we're we're right, and I mean we're a block away from the Dairy Queen we used to hit in junior high. Man, I remember we used to take those those book covers that had the free ice cream inside <laughs> the book cover, but you had to like we used to cut them out of people's books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we had free ice cream for days, man. But, you know, my my dad. Well, your dad would drop us off in the morning. My dad would pick us up, and since he worked at the refinery, we'd have like an hour at the school by yeah. ourselves. By our, so, man, we, we did would not need, need an me. hour. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we touched every locker, trying to we, find those coupons and oh, get into man. all
1: kind of stuff. We were hitting licks before we knew what hitting licks was about. Man. It was the it's, good days. It was crazy, boy. I remember your mom put it, your mom put it into that boy. She's uh, like, "Hey, he's going to get saved." Or praise you know, God. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy, so man. Sister Debra wasn't having it. <laughs> wow.
0: Oh my God. All right, so everybody, listen up. You're 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 tuned in live to the Free World Podcast, and it is an honor. To have my friend, long best friend for childhood, man. Damon West, the motivational speaker, best selling Arthur, uh, star quarterback in college and high school, has a great story, has a great heart, and, and we're honored to have him here
1: today. Damon, what's up, man? man D Free, man, thanks for having me, man. Whenever you started this podcast, I'm like, man, when am I gonna get time? Like, I'm like four episodes into it, man. I'm like, man, I can understand Shannon, I get Bun B. I was like, man, come on, D Free. But no, man. Thanks for having me, man. This has yeah. come full circle. I mean, look. I mean, we grew up down here. This is our town. This yeah. is this is our area, man. And we uh, we got to work together during Harvey, which I mean, man, you killed it, man. You, I mean, you were up with a monumental task during that the whole thing. But it was a lot. It was a lot. We'll we'll get to that later.
0: But sure. let's 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 talk about Damon West. Let's take it back to Damon West. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe throw Rambo in there a little bit. I'm talking. I wanted to go back to Rambo days. You know, yeah. man. I, well, you're talking about the dog too. My dog. Well, exactly. you grew up. People in, think we used to be the movie for us, but also the dog Rambo. But you grew up
1: in my house, exactly. man. You knew. I mean, you were there all the time growing up. I mean, Rambo was my dog, man. And That's you know, it. I had to take that dog with me because he would bark. If he had such separation anxiety. He would bark if he if I left the house, right? Yeah. So. I would go rap houses or go what, to girls' houses or stuff like that. <laughs> this is before I'm even driving and when I'm driving. Yeah. And I had to take Rambo with me. I mean, I and eventually my little brother Grayson, who was five years younger, Grayson, Grayson would would say, look, if you don't take me with you, I'm telling on you, man. <laughs> so I would try to leave Rambo with Grayson. Now i got to take Grayson and Rambo. And the dog. Yeah. I've, <laughs> got, I've got my little brother and my dog <laughs> and they're out I mean I had Grayson in Griffin Park walking the dog when I was hanging out with some friends man I'm like that's it man (laughs) midnight he's walking the dog
0: but you know that was that was like our when you had a younger sibling you could you could use them as an excuse to get out the house because you know if you took a younger sibling with you most likely your parent thought that you weren't gonna get into that much trouble right right. you know you can't be doing all that and he has his little brother
1: with him that's right (laughs) but little did they know man look Grayson went on more trips more rendezvous than any little kid at 10 years old should have done I mean, I <laughs> man, we, know, man. we were wild man we but we made it i mean hey we turned out
0: all right we did all right <laughs> we did man that's why we're still serving today to try to clean up some of that mess we made <laughs> you ended
1: up the mayor of port arthur i ended up in prison
0: man <laughs> oh man but you know i did that long you're that back out speaking man touching lives so talk to us so talk to us about roanoke talk to us about damon growing up you know, Port Arthur. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're gonna to go to tell. We're gonna get through everything real quick.
1: Yeah, D. So, I man, look, I had a great life growing up. I mean, you know, my my family. My dad, you know, my dad was the first sports writer in this part of Texas to even put black athletes on the front page of a sports page. 1971, yeah. Joe Washington, little Joe, Washington. Joe, little Joe. First time it ever happened. In 71. Man, my dad's got a box of hate mail at home still. I mean, yeah. and growing up, man, he had my older brother, my younger brother, and I. Read this hate mail. He wanted to see what it was like to take a stand. My mom, she was a teacher, uh, you know, at uh, Charlton Pollard High School, you know, back when it was an all-black school. She was one of, like, three white teachers in the school, and then she became a nurse. And so I had a great family where God was at the center of everything, but, man, we had issues, too. Everybody's family does. I, I was molested when I was nine. I know you remember that, man. I told my parents about it, and my parents sent me to a, a priest, a family counselor. I, I, they did everything they could. Yeah. But that's when I first got into substance abuse. By the time I was ten, I started drinking my dad's beer out of the fridge. I started smoking my mom's cigarette. My mom used to smoke those Merit cigarettes. <laughs> um, then I started uh, getting into smoking pot when I was twelve. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the seawall. You know, rolling joints, rolling blunts with the, with the dudes at school, man. Because I mean, that's you know, I was into putting chemicals in. But man, I had a lightning bolt for a right arm. You know, I mean but it wasn't always like that so you're from back back in the day man you know the story back in the day man i wasn't the best athlete in the world that didn't happen until i was like 11 12 years old when i finally (laughs) grew into my body and and coach bass coach bass helped me out you know with my athletic skills but but once i found out what my athletic ability was i mean i you know became the quarterback and and uh man you know i got a i got a football scholarship to play ball in north texas but poor arthur man Port Arthur was great. Port Arthur is a giant melting pot of a city, man. Yeah. Remember our crew that we—I mean, we hung—and I tell people about this when I go speak to, to college football teams and, and pro spe- pro teams. I tell them about growing up in Port Arthur, man, because I had a very diverse group of people I hung out with. I mean, it wasn't—it wasn't like this predominantly white town either, man. It's a predominant port Arthur was predominantly black, you know, and it's a blue collar town, refinery town, you know, but. Our crew, man, we had Damon Kill, you know, Damon. the Kill brothers, the Kill brothers, the Kill brothers were Damon in there, and Damon and Demetrius, and I mean, so we shout had out Jarman Chavis, I mean, Jarman, some, yeah, and we had, I mean, we just. But we grew up not knowing a lot about race inside our in our group. I know you didn't. I mean, yeah. you come from a, a, a blended family, a mixed family, but we grew up not knowing about about race, man. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until I got to college, so I really started to experience the stuff that I read in my dad's letters, man. We tried to I tried to get a, a a football player of mine into my fraternity. Got him with Darren McLean, okay, and black dude. Man, you would have thought I was trying to to like rob the place, man. They were they were upset about that, man. They were fired up man wow. i was like man i stood up for this dude he, he made it he got his bid and everything like that but i mean i called him out but you, i mean you know me man I'm, I'm gonna fight for the stuff i believe is, is right man yeah. well, that's one of the things but you know growing up in port arthur gave me a foundation that saved my life when i got to prison eventually Derek. because yeah. when you get to prison and we'll get into all the prison stuff it's all about racing there man and, yeah. and the white gang gets you in first thing they're gonna do is tell you, man, look, man, those guys are there, they're gonna hurt you, they're gonna rape you, but we're your family, we're gonna take care of you, man. But I wasn't falling for the okie doke man, yeah. because, I mean, I've been around blacks all my life, man, yeah. so it wasn't an intimidating thing, but Port Arthur, man, I owe so much to Port Arthur D. Free.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful, you know, for the the upbringing that we had in Port Arthur, because you had a, a big city feel, but, you know, everybody, it's a small town, you know, so, it was, there's an intimacy there, but it was still, you, you could, you could make a name for yourself. So, you know, growing up in Port Arthur, you you know, you, you were able to, to, to be around celebrities, I guess, or so say, or people that have been successful in some certain fields. And, you know, they, they leave bread trails and once you you've shaken the hand, I remember being as a matter of fact, when your dad came and got me and you to uh, go meet Bubba Smith. <laughs> you remember that? He was at I think the Gates Memorial Library and he was like, Come on, y'all go on we're gonna see Bubba Smith. He got some award or something. And I just remember when, when he shook my hand, it was like he he grabbed like my yeah. elbow, my hand, my arm, my forearm. It was yeah. like <laughs> that was a big hand. His on Bubba. head was huge, you know, but things like that, Port Arthur, just being able to touch you know, folks like that, that that had success, you knew you could do it from here, from Port Arthur, you knew you could be something. So uh, that's what I appreciate more than anything else. And the way you, you grow, the way you, you, you live outside, you know, your comfort zone is just being, having these experiences, like you say, talking about, man, I, I grew up around black folks. So, yeah. you know, that's nothing new for me. I mean, it's and folks that don't know, you know, they, they fill those gaps sometimes in with fear with you know rumors with things that that aren't true a lot of times and they build up who someone should be or what city should be and it's a lot of times that folks are just off unless you've experienced it so you know you you were around black folks man so they couldn't get you with the okie doke
1: no man and that's the thing I mean I you know I grew up here played sports um went to North Texas played college football and you know Derek. This foundation around here kept me in check. I mean, even though I got away with a lot of stuff, we were joking around about junior yeah. high and 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 ripping the Dairy Queen coupons out of everybody's book cover. Man, if you had a if you were in Woodrow Wilson between 1986 and 1989 and you had a Dairy Queen book cover oh, and you missed man. a coupon, chances are good, Derek Freeman and I got you, got gotcha. you. But but even though I you know I was I was wild, has a, I had a lot of character issues, man. I was into substance abuse. And, and I, I was I was a cocky, arrogant little guy down here, man, but Port Arthur still kept me in check, kept me in line. But it was whenever whenever I got to college, man, that that safety net, that that group around me, man, my mom, my dad, the community around me, you know, you're in a bigger area now, man. you're just yeah. a name out there. And, and so yeah. when I got to college, I really only cared about two things. That was partying and being the starting quarterback from a division one team man, I did both really well. I, 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 pushed, I pushed God out of my life, man. That was yeah. the first thing to go. I quit going to church, man. Growing up in my house, we were at church every Sunday, man. Yeah. But after that, man, I, man, when I got to college, I probably went to church five times. Those were on holidays, man. They don't even count, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but, you know, I got into playing football. I, I was really good at that. But I got hurt you know, really early on. In my redshirt sophomore year, we are playing against A&M in 96. Mm-hmm. I go down. The third play of the game, third game of the season, man, September 21st, '96. I'm done. My football career is over, and I get up to what I, you know, I call a fork in the road in life. And it's yeah. fork in the road, man. Fork in the roads. We, it's when you get hit so hard, man. You get knocked down so hard, you get up and dust yourself off, and the world looks different, man, because you just got hit. Coronavirus is a big fork in the road for the world, man. Yeah, you got up from that, and you're like, man, stuff's not even in the same place anymore, you know. <laughs> but you got to keep going. You got yeah. choices to make. Yeah. And I made a lot of wrong choices that fork in the road because I had a bad belief system, and belief systems. Belief systems tell us how to do this, do, do something over and over again. Yeah. And when you have a bad belief system, you're telling yourself over and over again how to do something the wrong way. Yeah. And my bad belief system, even at 10 and 12 years old, was, man, I'm just drinking a little beer, smoking a pot. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting myself, you yeah. know. And I fed that belief system. And the, the thing about belief system is the longer you hold on to it, the harder it is to get rid of. And the truth about a bad belief system is... Belief systems usually, usually went out in the end. They're very hard to change a belief system because sometimes you carry this thing for 20, 30, 40, 40 years. So you got to retrain your brain to do something. But at 20 years old, when I get hurt, my bad belief system says, man, you know, that, that drinking a little beer, smoking a little pot, man, now we're doing cocaine, ecstasy pills, you name it, man. If it was a drug that could change the way I felt I was doing it. Graduated college somehow in 99. I move off to Washington. I get a job working in Congress Get a job work for a guy running for president of the United States, Dick Gephardt. He's running for the Gephard. president. Hark. Yeah, okay. 2004. Yeah, raised money for Dick all over the country. When he dropped out of the race, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And, I mean, I mean meth rocked my world. Man, I smoked that drug one time, and Instant just, just like that. It was the hard, most hard I tell, I tell athletes and kids all over the country, Run from that stuff, man. Yeah. That stuff, will, I mean, it grabs you, man. It doesn't let you go. And I gave everything away for that drug, Derek. My job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tethering to God. Yeah. And I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. Sleeping wow. in abandoned buildings, parked cars stuff like that breaking into people's storage units breaking into their cars then eventually we started breaking into people's houses man wow oh yeah and a burglary man a burglary is a big deal Derek I mean because you don't just steal someone's property you steal their sense of security man yeah I don't know if they ever get that back but on July 30th 2008 a day I'll never forget man I'm sitting on the couch in this little old apartment I'm, I'm, I'm staying in Dallas and I got my meth dealer named Tex sitting next to me I'm passing the pipe back and forth to Tex and I'm telling Tex, I think the end is near, man. I think the cops are about to come get me, man. And just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, I heard a window shatter off to my right. <laughs> Coming across that living room floor to a little canister and smoking. And, man, I've seen this movie Ooh, before. I know yeah, what's about right? to go down. I'm get up off that couch, and I break for it, and boom, right in my face. Bright white light, loud noise, blows me back on the couch. Wow. And when I came to, when I can see and hear again this cop in full SWAT right here, Boot on my chest, the barrel of a machine gun is in my sock, and he's screaming, don't move, don't move. Man, I looked at this wow. cop, and I blinked. And I was like, dude, don't worry, man, <laughs> don't worry. And then one of the cops screamed out, we got him. We wow. got the Uptown Burglar. And the that's, uptown Burglar, wow. Uptown Burglar, Derek. So they, they
0: gave you a name, a moniker, and everything. I remember um, when when someone told me about it, and it was like, what? I think that's the way they referred. You heard about the Uptown? I'm like, no. You know, and I, I guess they had – thought that I would know since it was you and right I'm like, no no way bro then when I heard about it, I was like no way not my dog so it, it was you to know the, the but how much I, I respect you of course been a friend been been loving you since I was a kid you know everything man to see you know to see the, the stumble at that time it was hurtful you know especially when you see it with someone that you love so yeah you know when 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 it happened I was like no way but you know, one thing that, that I, I always knew is that you, my dog is gonna land on his feet. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I always had confidence in you that, you know, I, I see myself in some type of situation. Like, what would I do? You know, we're, we're kindred spirits, brother. So, you know, I just knew that you'd be in there and, and, and make a difference and, and make up for, you know, whatever whatever the canker worm installed, brother. So, uh, talk to us, you know, you, when, so you got, they caught you, it rolled into the thing, you you're boom, the gun's in the face. You know, from there, it's 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 over court
1: case, man, for there they you know, they locked me up in Dallas County Jail. I've got man, I've got a first degree felony hanging over my head with a, a potential life sentence in prison. And man, the only thing I really care about when I'm in this Dallas County Jail is getting high, man. I get on the phone and I call from I call home from jail. I call back to Port Arthur and I call my mom, and my dad on the phone and, and my mom and my dad. My dad answered the phone, D-Free. I mean, I, And you know my dad, man. I, my dad's from an older generation of men, like our, our fathers. I, mean, I never saw my dad cry. Hell yeah. I, but I heard him cry that one time when I called from Dallas County Jail. And my dad's saying, man, you know, how we go so wrong, how we mess up so bad. What could we have done different? So he's crying, and now I'm crying. So my mom gets on the phone. And my mom's like, you know, she's a nurse. She can pull it together in a traumatic situation. Yeah. And she says, baby, listen, your dad can't talk right now. I've never seen him like this before in my life, but we need to have a serious talk. She said – you need to understand that we love you unconditionally. She said, there's nothing you can do to make us not love you, Damon. She said, that was a deal we made with God when he loaned you to us. And I guess when she was talking, I didn't hear the word loan. You know, she said, do you understand that we love you unconditionally? And I was like, yeah, mom, I get it. She said, good, because we just gave you back to God. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, and I'm like, "Whoo, man. Wow. wow. And she asked me a question, D-Free. Now, you remember my house growing up. Man, it's, uh-huh. you're one of the, you're the our first podcasts I've ever been on. I can talk about my house. <laughs> my mom had prayer plaques and crosses all over the Everywhere, house. man. Yeah. She, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get away from God in my mom's house. So just like your mom. Yeah. And so my mom said, Damon, do you remember that prayer plaque that I had on your wall growing up? This is on Roanoke, man. And I'm, I've been on this dope for four years. My brain doesn't fire right. So I was like, what prayer plaque? And she said, baby, it's footprints in the sand. She yeah. said, do you remember the story of footprints in the sand? So I was like, no, mom, I don't. So she patiently and lovingly retold me the story of footprints in the sand by a guy walking on the beach with Jesus, man. She said they're watching the video of his life play out in the sky, and every time something good happened in his life, there was two sets of footprints walking side by side. She said, but every time something bad happened, there was pain, there was hurt, there was suffering, there was loss when he loses his football career, yeah, the guy saw one set of footprints. She said, finally, the guy calls Jesus out and says, hey, Jesus, what's up, man? Every time something good happens, man, I see you rolling with me, two sets of footprints. But when the bad stuff happens, man, you abandon me. Why do you abandon me? Yeah. And she said that's when Jesus laughed and said, Damon, you fool. Every time you saw one set of footprints, I didn't abandon you. I carried you, boy. Started screaming like a football coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Coach Getwood, man. She's like, yeah. Damon, <laughs> yeah, Coach Getwood Jr. Yeah. That's the one only you would get." That's so, it. <laughs> but she's like, "Damon, Damon, look down that jail cell right now." She said, "There's one set of footprints, and they're not yours." She said, "Get on God's back. I don't want to lose my son." So that night, D-free, man, I started having a conversation with God, and let me tell you how crazy this conversation is. Cause I'm a dope fiend yeah. at this point. I mean, all I want to do is get out and get high again. I'm, I'm missing the drug. I'd pray to God every, religiously. I'd pray to God every night. Say, dear God, man, get me out of this one. And if you do, I'm bargaining yeah, now, right? Yeah, you bargain yeah. with God? And win? Say, man, if you do, I'll be a normal guy. Effort. Yeah, I'll be a normal guy. Let me tell you what I got for you today, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> It's some wheeling and dealing in junior high stuff. Yeah. Just for you. It's just for you. just for
0: you. Man, what I
1: got today for you is, man, I'll be a normal guy again. I'm going yeah. to get a job. And, man, I'll just smoke meth on the weekend. You, you, got, my, you got my attention. Yeah. Man, he never heard that prayer, man tell you something it was like one of those those <laughs> spam emails and you don't even yeah. you don't even read them you don't even open get it bounced <laughs> yeah it went to the junk file so man when i went to trial oh, 10 months weird. later and that jury man that jury listened to six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt six days is a long criminal trial D-free, in the state of texas for crimes that were non-aggressive no one was ever home and no one was physically hurt man so they're non-aggravated offenses but six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt. I mean, they they came out guns blazing at me, and they got me, man. It's, man, I'm guilty of everything they're saying, right? Yeah. That jury went and deliberated for 10 minutes, D. Wow. 10 minutes. I don't know how much Law & Order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 <laughs> minutes, they smoked you. Yeah. They proved
0: the case. Oh, man. It proved it. it was just, <laughs> I mean, like,
1: I didn't, they give you, like, when you go to the holding cell, they give you, like, a bologna sandwich. Here's your lunch, you know? yeah. I mean, I didn't even get the bony sandwich down. I wouldn't oh, even. Wow. I couldn't get done eating, man. By the time they, they were already done, they were like, "Come wow. on, back in." I was like, "Oh man!" I mean, they, I have two lawyers, man. I'm a white middle class guy in America going on trial for my life. I got two paid attorneys, man. <laughs> and I walk in there, and one of those attorneys says, "You better get ready. This is gonna be bad." Wow. And this is where my book, The Change Agent, starts off. The first chapter is called Rock Bottom. Man, I'm in that courtroom, May 18th, 2009. That's the date. And so she said, "You better get ready." She said they. They weren't gone long, she, she said. And when they were gone, they sent a note into the judge, wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Wow. Yeah. Burglary. I'm like, for I man, I was like, and I was like, and I was like, hey, that's crazy. Oh, she man. said, that may be crazy, but that's what really happened in here. You need to get ready. Wow. And that judge said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to sixty-five years. Sixty-five years. That's a life sentence, defree. free. Wow. I mean, and and think about that. I mean, that's. First felony conviction ever, man, and you're talk, we're talking about race today. We're talking about, uh, I'm a white middle-class guy in America, man, had everything going for me, all the privilege in life. I walk into a courtroom and they smoked me and I got two paid attorneys, man. Most people don't even get one paid attorney. Yeah. I got two Yeah. Wow. and I got smoked, man. And right after the trial was over, man, they took me in this little room, this little holding cell, and they let my parents have five minutes with me, five minutes, man. My dad walks in first. He's in stunned disbelief. He just saw his son with all this promise in life, get a life sentence in prison. So my mom does all the talking. Very important conversation in the history of my life. She says, baby, debts in life demand to be paid. And she said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did in that trial, Damon. So you have to go and pay that debt to society. Yeah. She said, but you owe your father and I a debt too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity, love, and support to be anything you want to be in this life. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of a city. We gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. So here's the debt you're going to pay to us. She said, when you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because you're scared because now you're the minority. She said, That's not gonna work. You were never racist race and you won't start now. She said, You will not get any tattoos. Yeah. Or you're not man, look, man, go. I show people my sleeves all the time, <laughs> man. I didn't get any tattoos. Them yeah. dudes in the man the joint, man, those cats in there, man, they want to tattoo every inch of your body, man. Like <laughs> oh, man. they'd be like, Wes, man, hit me up all the time. Wes, let me put a tattoo on you. Man, I can't do it, man. My mom said no, you know, because my mom Shout told me. Shout out to Jeannie, yes, to Jeannie my West, my girl Jeannie. Man. but that's the thing, everybody respects a mom because everybody yeah. in prison has got a mom. Not now, most people don't even have dads, but everybody's got a mom in there, right? So, and that's one of the problems too is, I mean, you got a lot of a lot of people from broken homes in there. But, so my mom told me that day, she said, Damon, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Wow. She said, do you understand this debt you're gonna pay? And I said, yeah, I got it. Man, I, what do I know, man? I'm a white middle-class guy in America. But What do I know about the penitentiary, <laughs> right? So, But when I get back to the pod in Dallas County Jail, I'm asking all these cats that have been in prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to that's been to the joint, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, same thing, man. You got to get into a gang, fool. Yes. You can't survive. You're going to the worst part of prison, man. Everybody in the building you live on has life. They call it the life sentence building. I mean, you're 33 years old. Get into a gang. But there was this one guy, D. This one guy, man, and, and I call him Mr. Jackson for the sake of the story. His name, he went by the name Muhammad, okay. and, and I don't know his real name because, you know, those guys convert to Islam inside of prison. Think of Cassius Clay. He goes in and becomes Muhammad Ali in the 60s when he goes to prison, yeah. right? So this guy's name was Muhammad, man. Muhammad comes up, and he's one of the most positive guys I've ever met. Maybe the most positive guy I've ever met. Had a smile on his face all the time. He's what you call a career criminal, though. He'd been to prison four or five times, probably in his 60s. I never got his real age. Positive as can be the one morning he comes up, and he says, West, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies, Talk about you ought to get into a gang. He said, do not listen to these fools. He said, but well, let me lace you up with what you're about to walk into, man. Let me uh-huh. tell you about prison. He said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, he said, prison's all about race. He said, race runs the entire institution. He said, and because it's all about race, he said, like when you walk in that day room, you see a TV set. And in front of that TV set on that life sentence building, man, you're going to have rows of benches. He said, the first row is for the blacks. Don't sit on that bench. You'll get your head smashed in. The second row is for the Hispanics. Don't sit on that bench. The essays will smash your head in, too. And he said the third row, if there's a third row, is where the white folks sit. He said if there's no third row, you sit on the floor. That's huh. the way the numbers work in prison. He's the exact opposite of Free World, right? Wow. And it's uh, so he's telling me don't get to a wreck over race. And he said because it's about race, when you walk through that door, the white gangs get you first. They got the first dips on you, man. The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods, you're fighting them all. And he said, if you survive all that and you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear, and you hit this on the head a while ago, when you were talking about they come at you with fear and this thing, that's exactly what they come at you with D free. Yeah. Fear, man. Hey, they're going to get you. It's them. You know? yeah. And it's what you see a lot of in America right now. We're talking about exactly. the they, the yeah. them, you know? That's that code talk that yep. you hear. And so, but that's what they're telling you, man. Hey, man, they're gonna come get you, man. But man, I had more to fear from them than I did anybody else, man. My own the people that look more like me were coming after me, man. Yeah. Because I wouldn't fold in, I wouldn't give in to that ideology of hate out of fear. Yeah. And that's what Jackson's telling me. If you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear, Get ready, buckle up, because then you're fighting the black gangs. They're going to send the black gangs. That's what the white guys are going to do. They're going to send black gangs after you. Make sure you understand wow. what they're saying. And they're going to be happy to tee off with the black gangs. Yeah, they're going to. An independent white guy won't get with his own race. Crips, Bloods, Gangster Disciples, Mandingo Warriors, man, you got to fight them all. But he told me, he said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's wow. a lesson in life, D-Free. Yeah, I mean, because we can't win all of our battles in life. We get our butts kicked all the time. But he's saying, man, you got to get back up, Wes. Get back up. But he saw that I was still like glazed over my eyes. I'm like a deer in headlights. He said, Let me break it down to you one more way, Wes. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, Anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Okay. So he said, First things first. He said, If I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water, we call prison. He said, What happens to the carrot? I said, "Well, I mean, it turns soft, Mr. Jackson." He said, "That's right." He said, "The carrot goes into prison hard, but the water, the prison changes the carrot, turns him soft." You know, he said, "The yeah. carrot got beat, he got robbed, he got raped, many, he many he got killed." He said, "You don't want to be the carrot." He said, "What about the egg?" You know, and a little bit more confidently, I'm like, "Well, shit, my egg turns hard, like a hard boiled egg, Mr. Jackson." He said, "That's right, Wes." He said, "The egg goes into prison. it has got that outer shell that protects it. The egg, you know, but inside that soft liquid core, his heart." Yeah. Becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you've become institutionalized and you do not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over it. Yeah. Wow. And he said, what about the coffee bean? And man, I had no clue, D3. I mean, I don't know what happens to a coffee bean in boiling water at that point. And he, and he said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said, the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, West. Had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. He said mm-hmm. whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's called the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. So he said if you want to walk around prison all the time with a mean mug on your face and a scowl all the time, he said you going to attract that same kind of inmate. He said it could be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor on the life sentence building where you're going. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face, and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, and he's smiling <laughs> yeah. when he's saying it. Yeah. He says, no matter what they do, they can't get to you. He said, you'll change that prison from the inside out, and he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of your energy, and the last thing Jackson tells me is go out there and go be a coffee bean. Wow. Go be a coffee bean, D-Free. Wow.
0: Man, they, they, and that message right there has been, you know, going around the world you know it's been touching lives young and old um the coffee beans so so you left from there and you went to maximum security we went to death i mean talk to me where t- tell me about that bus
1: ride and that that check-in boy i tell you what man so jackson told me too he said man look when you get to that prison he said do not run to your cell like the dudes that are scared he said well you're going to that life sentence building it's a whole different world man he said the hell he said i've never lived in the life sentence building he said but yeah he said, don't, don't run to your cell like the scary guys. He said, put your bags down, put your back against the wall, and let it happen. And I'm like, "Let what happen, fool? You know, <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, your heart check. Yeah. Your heart check. He yeah. said, most important fight of your life. He said, man, they're going to come up. He said, it's going to be a white guy. He said, because you're white. It's going to be a white guy. The first guy comes up to you, he's not coming to hurt you. He's, coming to, he's an information gatherer. He's coming to talk. Yeah. He said, get him out of your face as fast as you can. He's, he's going to want to know what gang you're going to ride with, what family. They call gangs families in yeah, prison. Man, yeah. a gang in the family, you know that. And so, he said, "But get ready after he get after you get him out of your face. Get ready because that second guy, he's not coming to talk. Man, he's coming to hurt you. Wow. Because he knows he's his job is to be an enforcer. He's coming to hurt you, man. So I got I got to the Mark Stiles unit right here in Beaumont, Texas. Man, you talk about a wild ride, man. Coming from I me, mean, and man, I've never been inside of a prison before. And Stiles is man, Stiles is off the chain, dude. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a, it's a tough it's. One of the toughest prisons in America, I think, man. Wow. And and man, look, I could tell you that today I D free, man, since I've been out of prison in the last four and a half years, I went and got my master's in criminal justice. And now nice. I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown. I teach a class. Get this D free. I teach a class called Prisons in America. Wow. I mean, what world is that happening? I was in a prison in America <laughs> four and a half years ago, right yeah. down the road from here. Yeah. Sweating it out, serving life. But when I walk in that first day, man, I put my bags down, put my back against the wall. First, a little white dude comes up, man. Not A little bitty white dude, man. He's got you know no teeth in his mouth. got this meth mouth thing going on. A tattoo from head to toe, man. He's drunk, too. I can smell that hooch on his breath. Gets up in my face. like, hey, white boy, what fam are you riding with? Man, he stinks, too, man. I'm like, man, get out of my face, little dude. I'm, I, ride, <laughs> I tell him I'm riding with God. Yeah. And he laughs at me, D-Free. He said, man, God isn't here. We kicked God out a long time ago, white boy. He said, well, we're coming to get you. Oh, wow. So he stumbles a little drunk butt off, and I got my back against the wall, and I'm like, man, this is not going well, man. I'm, man, I didn't have to wait long, man. Maybe, maybe ten more minutes. Here he comes, biggest corn-fed white dude I've ever seen in my life. This dude was a giant, dude. This guy, he's coming Strong the, tackle. Oh man, this guy was big, man, with linebacker speed. Yeah. This dude coming down, he's coming down the stairwell on the right side, and he's big, huge problem. Anyway, so he's got this muscles and veins ripping out of his shirt, big bald skinhead with a swastika tattooed all around the top of his crown, man. Wow. And all I see is a swastika with two eyeballs coming down the stairwell looking at me, man. I know he's coming. But D, man, we played ball. I I played ball all my life. I can be coached. And when that dude got (laughs) within range, man, I hit that fool in the mouth as hard as I could because Jackson told me, man, you said you get to jump on this dude. Get ready. He's coming. So I hit this dude in the mouth as hard as I could. And in 20 seconds, that first fight in prison was done because that dude had me on the ground tearing my butt up. That dude beat me. Oh, he beat it. Man, I tell people, people are hanging, at that part of the story, people are hanging on, like, man, did you beat him? No, man. Some little white guy goes to prison, starts beating everybody up. You know what that is? That's called Hollywood. That's, yeah. that's called Rocky. That's, Rocky. that's Rocky. That's a movie, man. Yeah. That doesn't happen
0: real life. Van Damme. Yeah, that's
1: Van Damme, yeah. No, man, in real life, man, I got in between Dallas County Jail and the Pentagon. Tentory, I probably got three dozen fights D free and I lost. Wow. Physically lost 75% of those fights. I wow. got my butt kicked all over that prison, man.
0: But I won. Used to be a quarterback, too, man. You used to get sacked and blindsided all the time. And I was getting sacked and <laughs> blindsided in there,
1: man. <laughs> But I, I tell people all the time, I won because I showed up, man, and that's yeah. what Jackson said. You don't have to win, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was getting sacked. It took two weeks to get through the white gangs. Then they gave up, threw in the black gangs after me. And was like you know, the like the little bullpen coach sending in the righty. Boy. Yeah, they the, They sent the black guys in, and man, four more weeks. I mean, six weeks into prison, I'm fighting the black gang still, man. And so, man, I'm I'm duking it out, dude. And and man, I'm sometimes more than one at a time. So one Monday morning, about six weeks into it, man, I I, was, I look in the mirror. And I don't like the guy I see because the guy I see is living in fear. And my co-author and good friend, John Gordon, man, mm-hmm. uh, my co-author on the Coffee being John, he says, fear and faith have more in common than just the letter F they begin with. He yeah. said, fear and faith both believe in a future that hadn't happened yet. He said, fear is a negative future and faith is a positive future. Yep. He says, so when given the choice, I always choose faith. If you've yep. got to choose a future, that hadn't happened so that day, man, I choose, I chose faith because I didn't like living in fear. I didn't like every time I left my cell, I was worried about somebody saying, hey, West, I want to look at you in the shower. And nothing gay about that, man. Someone says they want to yeah. look at you in the shower, you're going to box, man. Because yeah. all that blood you spill and there's no cameras back there no guards, that all cleans up out of the shower really easily. <laughs> so I go to the basketball court, man. I go to the, on the rec yard, the basketball court, and, and, man, this, this rec yard is very segregated, man. It's the life sentence building rec yard, most segregated place I've ever seen, man. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm looking at that basketball game where no white guys are allowed in the basketball court, but I'm thinking to myself, man, I grew up in Port Arthur, man. I've been on the west side being the only white dude before, man. I, yeah. I can You know this, man. Yeah. I, was, I was running around with you, man. You're half white. I'm the only white guy. It's so funny being on podcasts podcast with you, man. I can, I can let loose and talk we about were some there, people. Huh? You, you were there, man. Man, I'm, girl, yeah. and I grew up, and I did some running on the west side, too, man. running for my life. <laughs> What was that guy? Oh, at junior baby. high, man. We got into a, a thing, Goo Goo and Gaga or something like that. With some, you had a Boston Red Sox hat. Some dude trying to. Uh, oh my God. What was that little fool's name, man? Jojo or something? Something, or, man. We. It was sixth grade on the bus, man. We sixth used to ride grade
0: on the bus. I had a Boston Red Sox hat, and my Boston Red Sox hat got snatched. They have kids. The. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the alternative school used to get there before the summit kids. So it would be alternative kids and summit kids all together. And at the summit same time. you gotta
1: tell people summit was like the accelerate. <laughs> that was Port Arthur's answer to integration. We're gonna take exactly. all we're gonna take all the gifted and talented kids and take them to a black campus all the way yep. across town. And that's integration.
0: Yeah, they, but man, they put is. the alternative
1: kids with the the gifted and talented man. Something bad was bound to happen. And it did that day. Oh, my gosh.
0: And it was because and and I stepped up and had, said something. That's no, you, you knew the guy. You Give like, him up. I know the guy. I know the guy. Yeah, Derek, I was like, no, nah, don't go do it. Damon, don't don't go do it. He's like, nah, let me just go. I'm going to go tell him. You walked off the bus. You told him something. And he punched. It. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> What kind of shit is yeah, this? Yeah, man. I was like, I
1: was like, <laughs> David, don't do it, man. Don't do it, David. No, I know this dude, man. I'm good. And I still getting those same kind of wrecks, man. I still want So, man, that's a good what segue this yeah. into this conversation, man. So, I go on the basketball court, man. Oh, and, man, man, the only way I can get in this game is I've been watching these dudes play for, for a couple weeks, man. Yeah. And, and I, I was like, you know what, man? I know how many slipping in this game. Because after every game, they shoot for teams, man. And and so, if I can get that rock in my hand, one of these games is over, I'm playing basketball. So, man, when that last, last ball hit the last bucket for the last game, I I'm fell on it, me, man, like a fumble drill in football. <laughs> the whole court sucks up around me, man. Hey, white boy, give us our ball back, man. You lost your mind? D, in the toughest voice I could find, squeaking and cracking. <laughs> man, I'm shooting this ball today. I'm playing basketball today. Kind of like that bus. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, D, you're not getting your head back now. <laughs> So <laughs> so I'm holding this ball for deal life. And this oh biggest dude out there, man, this blood from Houston named Jay blood man. J-Blood <laughs> gets up in my face, and I think he's going to knock me out, D-Free. Oh, he's not getting yeah. that ball, though. He's going to knock out. He's going to have to get it from a dude's hands. knocked out cold, yeah. you know. He says, man, get up on the line and shoot that shot, white boy. Man, I hope you make it. So man, that ba- that free throw that that basketball court Cleared party, Roe, free throw, it, huh? the free throw line <laughs> appeared. It was like the equator, man. It was so big. <laughs> so I go up on this free throw line, but here's what's Weird. up. If I miss this shot, they're going to kill me, man. Because these dudes, man, I didn't disrespect the basketball court. I disrespected an entire race. Yeah. And if I make that shot, they're going to hurt me. They're going to let me play, but they're going to hurt me, man. They're going to let me know I don't belong, man. But you know what? I'm my back's against the wall, man. I, and I'm at the, I'm at the point where like, you know what? So much violence, man. I'm like you know forget it so i'll go up on the line steal my nerve and i make my shot boom i'm a captain i'm you know jay boy makes his shot he's a captain too (laughs) we pick our teams he pick, i pick my four guys he picks his four guys got us a little five on five man wrong it's nine on one man (laughs) my (laughs) own teammates don't want to be on my team they hate me man and man this is i tell people all the time this is prison basketball in a life sentence rec yard man of a maximum security prison man there's no guard in that yeah. tower. There ain't never a guard in that tower, man. If they're up there, they're sleeping. And there's no referee. Yeah. There's no fouls in prison. Bat, man. Yeah. You can punch, kick, scratch. There's no instant replay. Oh man, no instant replay. <laughs> man, I had a black eye and a busted lip of the first day, but man, I survived. Man, I got up the next morning. Mm. I looked at myself in the mirror. It looked like I've been hit by a truck, but I felt good, D. Yeah. Cause man, that dude stood up yesterday. So I go back out because I got to keep going, man. Yeah. So I go back out there Tuesday morning. The dude's are laughing at me. And I mean, look how small I am, D. Everybody laughed at me when I got to prison, man. Man, we thought you had enough, white boy. I said, man, I thought you boys were playing basketball. What's up? Uh-huh. Man, you could have heard a pin drop out there. J-Boy's like, you on my team, white
0: boy. <laughs> and,
1: man, if I was looking to play some basketball, D-Free, I got what I was looking for. They pick me first every game. After. And you play ball with me, man. Yeah. You know I'm not first pick caliber, man. I'm like eighth or ninth pick. <laughs> But everybody wanted to get a piece of the white boy, man. Yeah. And that was it, man. It was it was all I was like a pinata, man. and, so, and man, and D, I gave it back where I could, man. I was trying, me, mean, I'm trying to, I'm yeah. trying to earn some respect. So i mean, I would throw back when I could. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, man, we're out there, man. For six days this goes on, man. I'm out there Saturday at half court. We're playing a game. I'm at half court, and the reason I'm at half court because I don't even play off it. I hadn't seen that ball since I shot the shot Monday, man. Wow. No one kicks me the rock, man. Nobody. <laughs> all I do is play defense. Yeah. And just about that time, someone passed me the ball. Man, I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. you got to play basketball for 65 years. you got to do this because you can't quit. Yeah. And you don't even get a shot. You don't even get a shot.
0: <laughs> Exercise. That's, that's it. it, man. I'm
1: just running around playing defense, getting elbows in the face. <laughs> so somebody passed me the ball, and I shoot my shot, and I miss. And I'm like, man, I sure hope they give it to me again. And they did, D. And I made my shot, and I heard my change because someone said, good shot, West. Good shot, West. I mean, they weren't calling me white boy anymore. And, I mean, you know, how derogatory, you know how derogatory it is to be called by the color of your skin. Yeah. I mean, it's a very derogatory thing, but they stop. These dudes stop, man. D- and after that game was over, they circled up around me like they did six days before. J-Boy does all the talk, and he says, "West, man, you pulled some off out here. We had never seen a white boy pull out before. You took everything we had. You gave it back when you could. He said, that took guts. But, man, you never got racial with us. You never, never, not one time, man. He said, you don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in prison, man. You're good with us. And, D, that felt good. And those guys honored that. They came to get me to play basketball every day. And the, and the takeaway from the story is not that the scared white boy got the respect. We get that, man. But the takeaway is that these dudes, some of them with 20 years of a bad belief system, some of them all their life with a bad belief system, and the guy that looks like me doesn't belong in their world, they made a change, man. They made a change. And they accepted me into their world. The first ones in prison, by the way, the blacks were the first to accept me into their world. And they stayed like that. But the thing about that is, is man, the first thing I thought about was Mr. Jackson, that coffee bean story, because I'm like, damn, man, that coffee bean stuff works. We were making coffee out there in that wreck yard, yeah, man. Yeah. And I mean, and the white guys hated it, man. That, and it really offended them too, man. Because now I don't buy into their ideology, of hate, and I got it. I can go out there and I can maneuver around every race out there at that point, D. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm wow. out there running around. I can mix it up with the essays, with the blacks, the whites, anybody. I mean, because now I've 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 earned that, you know. And it's like I talk to people all the time. You know, when I'm out of prison now, and I go, and I've been doing this way before the murder of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and all the stuff you're seeing going on right now and the protest. Man, I've been talking about this since I got out of prison. One of the things I got to do when I got out of prison speaking to these football teams is bring athletes into prisons that have substance abuse issues or whatever. And they've been all been black guys, you know, and, and so I take these athletes in there and I show them what it looks like because... On the way out of prison and, and so just to, to, to finish the story out i mean so after the violence was over in prison and, and i could work on myself i became that coffee bean man. And, and i became you know a model inmate and, and you know november 16 2015 man the, the lady from parole she looks at my parole packet and she's like man look you know we don't see a lot of people come through like you mr west you've you've got everything you've had everything going in life all the privilege a person can have and then you became a drug addict you started breaking into people's houses you made victims and then a jury gives you life in prison she said but you came to this prison and you didn't let it define you you changed yourself you changed the prison around you the whole prison changed around you she said I got one question for you she said if you could be remembered for me in anything in this life she said give it to me in just one word go and man because I was a coffee bean because I knew the rules of being a coffee bean. You know, the rule, first rule of being a coffee bean is your positive body language changes the room. So I'm smiling everywhere I go. To this day, those guys in that prison be like, man, you smiled every every day in there, man. Especially when you don't feel like it. The second rule of being a coffee bean was working out every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Man, I got in the best shape of my life. I saw prison as an opportunity, man, and I worked on it. The third rule about being a coffee bean was servant leadership, finding ways to help other people achieve their goals, man, helping other people out. Because that's what we're here for We're not here for ourselves. We're here for other people, man. And somebody's going to help us along the way. And then the fourth rule of being a coffee bean was that you only control four things and God's got the rest. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel and what you do, your actions, man. And the last rule about being a coffee bean was that your past doesn't define you, man. Your past doesn't matter. Your past is your lesson. The present today is a gift and the future is your motivation so that's the rules i live my life by so when this lady asked me this question man i fired back her answer right when she got done speaking because i had my answer ready to go i didn't know the question but i knew the answer wow and i said useful there ma'am. you go useful i just want to be wow. useful i can be useful in this prison or i can be useful out in that world finding those coffee beans and she said we're going to give you one shot we're going to let you go but if you come back and And you come back in handcuffs anywhere between now and the year 2073. We're going to keep you this time until 2073. So, D, I'm on paper the rest of my life. I'm on parole. But they can keep that parole, man, because as long as I'm a coffee bean, I'm not going back to prison, man. As long as I'm out there living for others and letting God do his thing through me. Man, I'm gonna be good, man, because I'm not even driving the car anymore. I can't get in trouble if I'm not driving. Yeah. You know, the last time I drove the car, I parked it inside the styles unit, man. <laughs> so, but, but on the way out of prison, D, very important conversation, man. One of my favorite cellmates is a black dude from Dallas named Sabor. Man, it was his Muslim name was Sabor. His real name is Isaac. You know, same age as me. He's the same age as us. He'll be he's 45 now, and he's in there for life. And uh, but man, we used to talk on. I mean, Sabor was a really intelligent dude. I mean, we would talk about society the injustices we talk about race we talk about you know um we just hit on so many subjects Sabor is a very intelligent guy he's so and he's self-taught too which is so impressive about him i had this formal education but he had this self-taught education and he's running circles around me you know oh. so i respect subor so he sees me walking out i got him a mattress I kind of like how i came in i got a mattress a couple bags i'm going out the door and all i want to do is leave man support sees me man he's like hey Damon man, congratulations. And I hope I got to catch you before you leave. He said, congratulations. I know your family's going to be happy. I know you're happy. He said, I got one question for you, man. He, I said, what is it? Sabor? What's up? He said, man, when you get out of here, are you going to talk about the stuff you saw? And what he wants to know is, I'm gonna, like, am I going to talk about the disparity in the system? The fact yeah. that you have all these black men inside this prison, man. He said, you know, he wants to know, are you going to talk? Are you real? Yeah. And I said, Sabor, man, when I get on my feet, man, you know, I will. And he looked at me D free and he gave me a call to action. He hit me right between the eyes with what he said. He said, Good. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. Wow. Man. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. Wow. And I feel like I'm that right guy, D, because you know, God's given me the ability to tell this story, both, you know, with the oral word and the written word. And and no one's ever taught me how to write or how to speak. And but it comes out and it flows. But one of the things I do when I'm taking these athletes into these prisons and when I go speak to athletes in schools, I mean, I, I tell them, like, look, man, you know, inside, Natrez Patrick was the first athlete I took in. He's played linebacker for the L.A. Rams now. Okay. You know, when he was at Georgia, he got arrested for dr- possession of drugs, possession of marijuana. And so I'm, they let me take Natrez into a Texas maximum security prison. And on the way into the prison, I'm telling Natrez Natrez when we go into this prison, I want you to look at all the black faces that look back at you. He's a black guy from inner city Atlanta, you know. I said, I want you to see all the black faces that look back at you when you walk inside this place, brother. Because the numbers say one out of every four black men in America is inside the criminal justice system in some way, man. Wow. Six and a half percent of our population, which is black men, make up 50 percent or almost 50 percent of our prison population. Something's wrong in America, D. America yeah. is sick, brother. Yeah. And that's what I'm telling him, man. You know. We have to, you can't mess with these people's criminal justice system. And I, and I tell the first lecture in my class, in, in my, my, my criminal justice class, is hey, man, there's not one criminal justice system in this country. Man, there's a black one. There's a white one. There's a brown one. There's a rich one. There's a poor. One. There's one for cops, man. Yep. You're seeing that play out right now. Yep. And depending on who you are and where you fit on that spectrum, is the kind of justice you can expect to receive in the United States of America. We're we're the greatest country on on earth, I think. I think, we, but we could be a lot better. Yeah. You know, we're a great country, but we can be so much better, man. And the thing about it is, why white people have such a hard time understanding racism and talking about racism? It's the definition, man. They got this all wrong. In order for racism to exist there has to be an imbalance of power. One side has to have so much power over the other side that they can enact laws. They can change the way you live because they have the power to write laws against you, man. They can keep you out of certain neighborhoods from from living, right? It's so... In order for racism to exist, there's an imbalance of power. And and for the most part, whites in the free world have never experienced racism. Yeah, And the, when a white guy tells me, well, that, that person of color was racist against me. No, what you mean is someone was prejudiced against you. Yeah. And anybody can be prejudiced against any group. That means to prejudge. That's yeah. the root word of prejudice. But racism, man, racism is a whole different thing. And white people, for the most part, have never experienced racism. There was a black coach at the University of South Florida. I was there speaking a couple weeks ago. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, man, I really appreciate what you said in there, man. He said, because you know what? I know this for sure. In order to know what shit tastes like, you got to taste shit. <laughs> and you tasted shit. And I said, man, can I use that? He said, man, feel free to. He said, but you keep giving that message out. And what wow. happens in these rooms, D-Free, is because I'm a white guy that has experienced racism. I've yeah. been inside an environment where, you know, I can't sit on certain benches because I'm white. Or right. I've got my face kicked in because I was white. But – I know how to overcome it. I know how to navigate it. And the, and the black guys in these rooms, man, when I'm talking about this stuff, they're nodding their head because they know what I'm talking about. I'm not breaking any new ground with these, man, black people know what I'm talking about. You experience this every day of your life living in America. Yeah. But, they're hearing it from a, a person that doesn't look like them. They're finally having it confirmed from a white yeah. guy, right? Acknowledged. And, yeah. Acknowledged. Yeah. And and, and and that's a part of communicating, man. We want to, Everybody wants to feel like they've been heard, man. Yeah. You know, I, you may not get what you want, but you want to feel like the other side listens. So now they feel like, man, man, someone's listened to us, you know? Yeah. And the white guys in the room, they're shaking their head because they've never heard a white guy say this before. Because whites don't want to touch this stuff. I know a lot of really good white people that want to talk about race, but they're so scared to do it because they feel like they're going to step on a landmine yeah. and get canceled out in the cancel culture. Yeah. But I don't have to worry about that because I've got this amazing currency that God's given me in life that I can go out there from a different angle and talk about it, man, and, and bring it, bring some light to it. Because I do think we can get, away. I do think, because I'm not going to be just like some kind of bird that flies in and shits all over everything and leaves, you know, yeah. that's what a bird does, man. Yeah. No, what I want to do is I want to come in here and say, look, here's what we do. You know? Here's where I think we can fix it. First of all, people that look like me have to get off the sidelines and get in the game and start listening. Yeah. That's how we're, that's the first, first quarter is all listening, man. Yeah. We got white people got to start listening to what black people are saying. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, black people have to invite white people into the room and into the table. And, and I, and I can understand there's a lot of animosity in, in, in decades and even centuries of not trusting the white people, but yeah. we've got to come together, man. You know, it's going to take whites listening, blacks inviting the white people in, and we got to get together on a grassroots level and demand this change, man. Yeah. And sometimes D on the, un, the other end of that is the belief systems of older generations have to die off, brother. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, sure. and that's that's, that's going to have to
0: happen. You know, as it, it's a good segue, and I still want to get back to the linebacker and kind of what his story. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, and it, that's why your story is so unique, because um, they were it, someone I was trying to explain white privilege to someone. And to me, the definition of white privilege is it's it's someone having to never – Have the obstacle of your skin color in front of you, right? Basically, it's nothing that's a takeaway because you know most folks will say, "Well, I grew up poor too," or "I grew up this way," and I grew up that way, and it didn't have anything to do with the skin color. And I agree, you know, there's a there's a a, a, definitely a socioeconomic gap in America right now, but there's never been the obstacle of your skin color being something that hindered you, right? You know, so that's where the, the white privilege is, and with you having the skin color be an obstacle for you switched up in the only place really in America that it gets switched up you have a perfect perspective to talk about it, man. So I appreciate you. Just like he's saying, the, the, they locked up the right guy. I don't wanna you know, I don't want to confirm it, but maybe no, you, you, you've man. got out and you you've you could have done several different things with your time, with with your freedom, man, but you you've chosen to stand up. You've ch- chosen to use your voice and and I'm appreciative of it. So
1: well, talk to me about the linebacker. I appreciate that, happen? D. I mean, because and that's the thing, man, is that I feel like Yeah, I could have done a lot of different things. I could have gotten out. I could have written some books. I could have done my thing. I don't have to touch on this subject, man. But I touch on this subject because I think God let me out. It's literally did. I mean, I I don't don't talk about this all the time. But when I'm walking out of prison, I feel like I hear God tell me, man, hey, Damon, turn around and look at what you're walking away from, man. You're going to work for me now. And as long as you're working for me, life's going to be good, man. I'm going to take care of that because I put you through this for a reason, man. There's a reason why we did all this. But if you stop working for me, you think this is a Damon show. You think this is your, this is what you're coming back to, man. It's almost like Lot with the pillar of salt, man. He's telling, he's telling <laughs> me turn to turn around. around yeah. You turn around, Lot. You don't turn around, you know. So, <laughs> but it's like, but, but it's like, but it's for real though, D. Because I mean, because if I don't talk up, and, and there's things that white people can do, man. If I don't talk up, if I don't say something, man, then I'm. I'm just as guilty as as anybody else, man. And another thing that white people have to do that I have to do is hold white people accountable, man. I hold other white people accountable, man. And But that's got to happen on both sides because prejudice, as we know, exists on both sides. sides. It's a two-way street when it comes to prejudice stuff. But racism, when someone talks about racism, they're not talking about prejudice, man. Racism is about power, man. It's about, yeah. And whites have the power in America, yeah. bar none. I mean, cause I mean, yeah. if, and if you don't think that and you think I'm wrong, then then I I want to hear what your what your reason is. Cause <laughs> it's like those, there'll be white yeah. people say, well, I had to do all this. I had to scrap by, I, I get that. But the color of your skin did never hold you back. Man. Exactly. And it, you know, it wasn't ever a hindrance in the free world to, to, yeah. to be a white person. I, I get that you might've grown up in a different socioeconomic level, you know, poor. I get that, man. But that wasn't, you know, you weren't held back because you were white. Yeah, you know, it, it would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's usually not a negative to be a white person in America. You yeah, know? And,
0: Un- unless you're in prison, man. <laughs> so unless that's you're in prison. Why, yeah, that's and, why it, it's such a, a dichotomy of of speaking with you about it, and you know, with. You know the the story that you came out with from the coffee bean, and every, you you skipped over and went straight to the coffee bean, or we hadn't skipped over yet because you did another book when you first got out called the change agent. The change agent, man. You know, that, that, I mean, you you you. So I know we're moving around on where, where we at, man. What time you got to get? Yeah, out I got here?
1: about ten more minutes, ten man. More minutes, but okay. we but let's keep freestyling, man. This I mean, yeah, we're skipping all around, but I mean, this yeah. is the important stuff. I mean, the change agent, man. The book Look, D. I mean, most of that was written in prison. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a journal in prison for the most part, but um. The change, they're and they're making it into a movie, man. Hollywood Lionsgate film has it. They're gonna, you know, the coronavirus has shut everything down in Hollywood for the most part. It's gonna be like a Netflix limited series, eight to ten episodes. It's gonna be real cool, man. D, awesome. I, and I'm and I'm looking forward to that happening. But, you know, my life keeps writing itself. I mean, I'll tell you this. I'll break this here for the first time because I just got this deal done yesterday. No one even knows about this yet.
0: Right first here.
1: Breaking the United news. States Army, man. I, and I've been that change. The book, The Change Agent, man. Speaking of that book, the, this book got in the hands of, of, a, of a guy that's a lieutenant colonel on one of the bases here in America. I won't say which base it is because I'm going to let them break it too first. But one of these bases in America, this guy got my book. He works for the general on the base. And he read it, and he was like, man— he said, this is an amazing story. I said, look, I've always thought since I've been out that the mindset stuff that I have to go through to, to be who I am, even to this day outside, mm-hmm. you know, controlling the controllables, man, and, yep. and making the most of a situation. And, and, and the mindset of how I got through that, too, is also, you know, I didn't think about years ahead or my freedom. and Man, I thought about lunch. I thought about getting to dinner, man. I thought about, you know, yeah. getting through the day, yeah. you know, each day, man, I'm, I'm one yeah. of, my head is on a swivel, you know, yeah. but that's how you get by in life one day at a time. I said, man, all this stuff that I talk about, this is geared right for military. Yeah. D, in October, man, I'm going to this base, and I'm going to speak to the entire base. Man, over the course of four days, I'm going to live on the base for four days, man, and I'm going to speak to hopefully all 20,000 soldiers on that base, man, all the enlisted people, all the officers, all the grunts, the, the boots going through it, man, and I told him, I said, man, listen, when I go to these schools, I like to throw the football around with the football team. I said, but I'm going to be living on an army base.
0: (laughs) You want to shoot something? up?
1: He offered me to shoot. I said, man, I'm on parole. I can't shoot anything, man. But I said, I'll tell you what I do want to do. I said, I want to go through boot camp for four days. I said, what time is Reveille? He said, man, you're on. He said, we started our workouts at six in the morning. I said, man, I am in. So I'm going through boot camp. I got up this morning. I told my wife. I told my wife, I said, man, I got to start getting oh, up early again. So I got up at 545 went for a run this morning. I'm training for boot camp oh, in, six, wow. in six weeks. I'm going, to, I'm going to an army base for four days. <laughs> and D, I want to talk about my wife. That's one of the coolest things. Man. Hey, so, shout out Kendall. What's yeah, going on? Man, check this out. So I, man, so Kendall Romero, man, we, we start dating – in uh 2018, you know, and just she's just this amazing woman. She's a nurse practitioner, and and, and so we start dating, she's got this daughter, and, and so I and, you know, it takes a while before I even get to meet her daughter, right? May 18th, 2019, D was a very big day for me. May 18th, 2009 I told you about I was sentenced to life in prison that day. Yeah. On May 18th, 2019, Kendall and I got married, man. So 10 days, 10 years, I mean 10 years, 10 years to the day. Wow. At 1 p.m., about the time I was sentenced to life wow. in prison. Kendall and I got married, man. And she, man. she was joking around. She said, you went from one life sentence to a next, <laughs> <laughs> but she is my rock, man. She is just an amazing, man, I mean, man, God, she is, is, good, God is good, man. That's yeah. the, And of all That's the hats I get bro. to wear, man, being a husband and a stepfather, yeah. man, are the coolest ones at all. I mean, yeah. cause you know, it's just amazing to have a family, man. Cause D whenever you're in prison, I go into prisons, man. I love going back into prisons. One of the coolest things I get to do is go into prisons now and share my story with other inmates. Cause in a prison. I got hundred percent of the audience, man. They're hanging on every word because they want what I've got, man. Yeah. And if I was in prison and a guy like me came in, I want what he's got too. Yeah. And that's great. That means they're buying what I'm selling. So if I'm nefarious, they're going to buy something nefarious from me. But I'm selling them experience, strength, and hope. I'm selling oh, them, yeah. you know. I'm selling them, you know, the power of of redemption and what it can get you, man. But yeah. you got to change today in this place. It never fails though. When I get done speaking, I've got my wedding ring on. And I walk in there and, and do my presentation, and one of these inmates will come up to me afterwards and say, man, you got an amazing story, man. Your life's just full of all kinds of wonderful things. But he'll point at my wedding ring and say, I want to know how you did that. How would you find someone that would love you, man, after all that you've done? Because that's the thing, D. When you're in prison, man, you want those human needs you have those human needs you want to be loved yeah, you want to love someone else of, yeah. affection and all that but you don't think you're worthy of it in there man yeah. they've got all these men and women in america and look man i know that prisons are there for a reason and we've got to lock people up because you make mistakes but our criminal justice system in this, this country is broken man and yeah. it's I mean, and all of the criminal justice systems are, and when i talk about the multi-tiered criminal justice systems black white Asian, Hispanic. This is all mostly stuff that happens before prison, man. This is stuff... I'm talking about the stuff you see on the streets when you get into the courtroom. Yeah, Almost 95% of the people in America take plea deals out, D. I mean... 95% 95% of the people in America don't get their Sixth Amendment right to counsel because they sign a plea deal because prosecutors have so much power exactly. in this country, yeah. man. That's the cog in the wheel, man, is the the excessive power that prosecutors have over their entire criminal justice. They can over-indict you. They can keep you without bond. I mean, there's just a lot of things prosecutors can do. And, and so we've got a lot of flaws in this, but we're still the greatest country in, in, in the oh, world. D. free By and, far. By far, man. But we can be so much better. Yeah. And, and I think that... You know, we've got to find a way to, to have a conversation and listen to yeah. each other, man. And It's going to start, it's going to start there, man.
0: Yeah, and I agree. There has to be some understanding. There has to be some patience involved, you know, because people are hurt, you know, and, yeah. and hurt people hurt people. So, That's it. You know, when, when, when people do finally get together, and I pray one day we will, um, the, that people have an allowance to let people say the wrong thing. Sometimes, you know, and I didn't realize how deep the divide was. Um, a friend of mine just recently, well, it, it, it was some years ago, but it was in the 2000s, um, we went and kicked it in, in Nederland at a friend of mine's, he was, he was a white guy, and uh, me and my, a homie of mine, he was black, and when we left that home, he said, man, D. Free, I ain't, I ain't never just kicked it in no white people's house like that. And I'm thinking, man, this is 2010, you know, 2009, man and in and, and a lot of that again is because of the fears and the 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 unknown that you know people feel in their heads yeah. that this is the way something should be and a lot of times man the the, the 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 what you're thinking and again i i i said it earlier what what you built up in your head of who this person is or what they're supposed to do is totally wrong a lot of times you know it, you've been fed just like we happen now on the internet you know, that's why I guess the Russians, and we're going to get off into all that, but Mm -hmm. how folks prey on, you know, the uninformed, Mm -hmm. you know, the people. And your fears. Exactly. The the fears. The fear of the others. The unexperienced, you know, that you just, they feed on that. So the more that we can start to come together, break bread, share tables, hug each other's necks, man, I think that we'll start to move it forward. And unfortunately some of it is going to have to die off. You know what I'm saying? It's no matter, a lot of times it's on both sides too. You know, that's the the unique perspective that I have being black and white. And listen, when, when my mother married my father, they were like, you married a Negro. We don't want to know you anymore. I didn't meet my grandfather until I was 16. My, my black side of the family, you know, we were, we were disconnected because again, the, the family had been torn apart for so many years that there, there wasn't that connection. Over that, melanin that in your skin. Exactly. Over right. melanin in your skin. There wasn't that cohesiveness. Right. You know So I grew up knowing the, the, the prejudice on both sides. Sure. Uh, I'm black, you think like, he a white boy. I remember one day, and I'm gonna leave it at this, because I know you gotta go, man. Maybe we'll come back for round two. Oh yeah, that'd be we're, great. We, um, we, were, we were about to scrimmage West Orange Stark. We're at Woodrow. And uh, we were going up the stairs, and one of the doors were, were locked. They hadn't unlocked them. So all of us were like in this little part where this we go up to the stairs. You know, it was raining. We cut cl- practice early. It was probably sixth, seventh grade. So we were standing up there, and it's probably about 30, 40 of us. And um, th- they said, Well, I somebody said, Well, I wonder what happened to West Orange and why they canceled. And I turned around, you know, I'm like on the second. St- Almost to the top, close the door. I turned around. I said, I don't know, guys. I guess they just canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh no, we got a white boy <laughs> yeah, Woodrow. <laughs> yeah. Where's West? It's like <laughs> a white boy. And I was speaking, speaking to that. I, I had, I had, I went home and had to practice how to say pencil or a pencil. Pencil. Because everybody said, you know, we used to play pencil break. Pencil you know. break. <laughs> So, but you were good too. So, Hey, yeah. we all were. You know, yeah. we wrote that, that you pencil can ball. break, you can but ball, man. it was like. But I had to practice saying yeah. pencil because I used to say pencil. Who wants to play pencil break? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, "Whoa, hold no, on, I... bro! We got a little white boy over here." Yeah, yeah. So I, I've, I've experienced, and we could go deeper into some of it, but I'll just leave it there. So we say on the surface with it, but I've experienced it on both sides. Sure, I believe the only way we do is we have conversations like this.
1: Sure, absolutely, and it's gonna ha- it's gonna have to happen like that. You asked me originally to about the linebacker man the Trez is doing well man he went into that prison man and what I when I took him into the prison I told the guys at Georgia the video guy at Georgia I said man give me a highlight reel of the Trez, about a minute so I have a presentation that plays you know mm-hmm. and so I didn't really I didn't tell him the is going to happen the only time he was I did four presentations that day the first presentation that caught him so off guard but at the end of my presentation I put the in. sports is king in prison man if race is king sports is right next to it man yeah. you know, side by side and so I play this highlight film in the Trez, and these dudes in the crowd are ooh ah man, he's making tackles against Notre Dame, all these big schools. I said, man, that dude is good, huh? They're like, man, Wes, man, he's good, man. I said, well, it's too bad he's not at University of Missouri playing with his teammates today. He said he's sitting right over there at the table, and he's here. And I told him about his drug charge. Wow. I said, I want you after this presentation, I want y'all to tell him the Trez about his choices, man. Every black guy in that room swarmed around, sucked <laughs> around the Trez. And you could hear it, man. Yeah. What brother, what's wrong with a brother? I man, you want to be here with us, man? The hell's yeah. wrong with you, man? What? Yeah. Man, I was, I was at another prison with another athlete, and, and I'll leave it. Uh, this one quick story, man. But this basketball player, black kid from Atlanta, man. This kid can go to the NBA, man. All he's got to do is quit smoking weed. Yeah. And so, I'm taking him into prison last summer, man. And the, the warden walking around with us, you know, we walking around, he sees these inmates going to chow. They got their hands behind their back. They're inside of the yellow line. Got their head down, eyes open, mouth shut. You know, that's how you walk on the, on the hallway. Yeah. He says, hey son, you see those uh you see those inmates over there? And he's like, Yes sir, Ward, and I see him. He said, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. He said, They can never be you, but you can be them. Wow. And I mean that, that caught me. I was like, Cause, I mean, that's wow. me too, man. They can never be you, but you can be them. He said, none of them can trade places with you with you right now. And the places the things you can do and the places you're gonna go in life, they can't trade places with you, but you can trade places with them. Make one mistake in this country, man. Wow. That's it. Man, that was that was uh, some hardcore truth from that ward, man. That was wow. Like, Ooh man, that hit me between the
0: eyes too. Man, that, that Damon, you know I, I appreciate your brother coming on. It's you, you we, dropped we'll, us let's with
1: us so. jewels. Let's do round two, man. Let's because I mean, this isn't done. We're not done with this conversation. There's yeah. there's way more to it, and, and maybe I'll have some more stuff after coming over from the army base and and the movie stuff. But but look, man, we're always gonna keep this conversation. D and, and I mean, you've got an open access to me anytime you want. And you want yeah. a guest to come in and talk about real real stuff. Because look, man, I'm not worried about a cancel culture. I I live something that was so unique that <laughs> if I don't share, who's going to share a story like that, man? Yeah. Who's going to share that side of racism, man, that's a white guy out there? You don't hear anybody else doing it because white people don't know how to talk about it. I and mean, they want to talk about it, yeah. D-Free. And you know, know that, they do. You're, yeah. you're half in that world, half, you know. But white people want to get involved, but it's going to take us listening first and being invited in.
0: Yeah. I agree, man. Well, yep. thank you so much for doing this, folks. Thanks for listening. You know, I have my boy with me, Damon West, the best-selling Arthur, uh, the change agent, the coffee bean. Uh, he has another book he's working on the right now. The coffee
1: bean for kids coming out in November, man. Children's book, coffee bean. It is going to be on fire. And, and look, this coffee. We have this illustrator in this book, and, okay. and man, and so John Gordon, I write this book, and and I said, John, this book, these kids are going to be all kinds of different. This going to be like the United Nations of kids, right? <laughs> and so this book is, man. They've got a yeah. little black girl, a little Indian girl. Little, a yeah. little Hispanic boy named Gavin is the main character. The other main character is a little white girl named Clara, my stepdaughter. There you so, go. So, <laughs> yeah, man. So, But, yeah, man, so it's, it's cool, man. It, it's going to yeah. be a good book, and it's a very inclusive, man, about these kids making positive change in their elementary
0: school. That's what's up. Tell everybody where they can catch you at. Give them all the handles. Everything. Yeah.
1: Hour. Twitter, Instagram, at DamonWest7. You want to reach me to Tim speak or anything like that, Damon at DamonWest.org. And my website is DamonWest.org. Um, my books can be bought anywhere books are sold on Amazon or Barnes and Noble wherever man. The change agent, the coffee bean, the coffee bean for kids will be available for pre-order probably the next month. Awesome so, man, he, be free. Man, a, thank you man. Man,
0: thank you brother. We appreciate it. It, yep. it was a quick one, but we're gonna get you where you need to go to the next place and then yeah you back for round. It's season. round one. Round there one man. Boom. Bro, you're ding listening ding. to the Free World. We'll be back. You're Fuck. listening to Free World with Derek. <laughs>